Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Here we go, everybody. It is time for another Blue Gold Report podcast. Another week closer to September September 1st. We all know what that day brings us. The Blue Gold Report podcast brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. And wherever you found us, make sure you give us a nice rating. You tell all your friends about it. And you just rave about this podcast. And uh, keep coming back every Friday, uh, every uh, weekend. Uh, doesn't matter if it's football or not. We're here for you. But it is football season. There's no doubt about it. A lot to get to today as we inch closer to uh, kickoff time, and I know we had our last open practice this week. Uh, Todd Burlidge, who I'll bring in here in a second, had a chance to see the team and what's going on there. We might have some QB concerns coming out of camp. We'll see what happens if uh, if uh, Brandon Wish- Winbush can catch on. But I am hearing good things about his backup. So once again, we're, we might get a quarterback controversy that uh, Todd and I will go into here a little bit. And the biggest buzz is coming from special teams, it sounds like, out of camp. But without further ado, let's, let's talk to the man who knows all there is to know about Notre Dame sports. He is the lead writer for Blue Gold Illustrated on Notre Dame football and such, and that's Todd Burlidge. Todd, how are you? Rags, doing well. How are you, sir? Not too bad. Now, yeah, I'm hearing all this buzz about the punter. Is this uh, real love, or is this something that's being manufactured? Should we be excited about a punter? We should be. We should absolutely be thrilled about a punter. Uh, Tyler Newsom really has shown a lot of improvements, as has, as has his counterpart, just to his kicks. You could forget about a 50-yard field goal sure. last year. He's booting him from 50-55 this year. Now, there was buzz on him last year. It was a little bit of a disappointing, I want to say disappointing year, but it wasn't a stellar year. But this year, there, there's this is legit. He's going yeah. to shine, and he's, the special teams won't be a problem. No, um, and Lou Holtz used to always say, if your special teams are special in August, you're in for a special season. So there yeah, normally, you have it. if the best thing coming out of camp is the punter, that would not be a good thing. <laughs> right, but I, I do think there's something to that, because Brian Pullian, who I believe is an excellent football coach, he was just trying to stop the bleeding last year in his, his first year back at Notre Dame as special teams coordinator. So I think now, year two, he's able to settle in more. And certainly, you mentioned Tyler Newsom. Looks like he's added added some hang time and some distance to his kicks. That's and great. I just mentioned Justin Yoon. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit. They're trying to sort through some stuff on the, in the return game still. And there's a couple new rules that's going to change some strategies. And coming up later on in the season, as we get closer to it, uh, if you listen to us on radio, this will turn into a Notre Dame football hour because uh, Phil Phil's coming back, the the the, the judge. So uh, we'll have that uh, that great Notre Dame kickoff show, and uh, and we'll have it back to back with us. So you'll have a full hour of what's going on. Yeah, a little double header action. A little double header. So uh, we'll talk to Phil Halka. Well, I, I guess it'll be the week right leading up to September first. It'll be the first one. So as we got, and we're going to count down the best opponents for Notre Dame. That'll be another segment. Todd will be doing two, the number four team and the number three team a little bit later on. All right, Todd, let's start out this show like we start out every show, not only with the pleasantries as we just had, but with the Blue Gold Nuggets. <laughs> Five pack. What? Yeah, it's getting busy out there. First of all, these lame watch lists, we'll start with that. <laughs> just have to trudge through these things. Hopefully this is it for these. Uh, but Brandon Wimbush, he's been named to the 2018 Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award watch list. It's an award that's been handed out since 1987. It rewards fourth-year juniors and seniors who are on pace to graduate, the best quarterback of that bunch. Actually, Brady Quinn won it here at Notre Dame in 2006. There are four opponent quarterbacks on this particular watch list. Eric Dungy of Syracuse, 
Shea Patterson of Michigan, Kyle Slater from Vanderbilt, and Clayton Thorson from Northwestern. Um, also, I'm um, named to a watch list this last week, Jerry Tillery. He has been named to the Ted Hendricks Award watch list. That goes to the top defensive end in the country. Tillery was stellar last year. I expect him to be even better this year as he moves from nose guard to that three technique. A little more room to roam there. Uh, not so many double teams. He still managed to lead the defensive lineman with 56 total tackles. None of his teammates even had 30. That gives you some idea, Rags, how, how dominating he was. He had nine tackles for loss, which was third on the team. And he led the Irish with four and a half sacks last year. A couple personnel notes coming out. Really, Rags, it's been pretty injury-free. None of it's been too serious for Notre Dame. But um, right tackle Robert Hainsey, offensive right tackle Robert Hainsey, he's missed the last few practices. He's kind of had a aggravated tendon in his lower leg. Again, nothing serious. I think precautionary more than anything. Uh, but Brian Kelly said he'll be back in starting on his edge on Tuesday of next week when practice begins there. Uh, they just wanted to give him a, re- a break, give him about a week off. And again, they, they're not uh, they're not too concerned about that. Um, other than that, Dalen Hayes, the junior defensive end, he's suffering a little tendonitis. That's about it, Rags, as far as injuries are concerned. Good news. Uh, one other personnel note, sophomore Isaiah Robinson. Robertson, sorry about that. He moved to receiver Wednesday. This guy's been moved all over the field here. It's his second position switch this offseason because he moved from safety to rover. <laughs> And now rover to wide receiver. So you can sort of see the writing on the wall there. Kelly said he's done a pretty good job. He played wide receiver in high school. And, you know, I don't know, perhaps he'll see a little playing time. But he was going to be the four-string rover. So you may as well move him around and see if you can find a spot for him. So a little news there. Another wide receiver of note. This was a former Notre Dame player, Freddie Canteen. If you remember, he started at Michigan was injured up there, came to Notre Dame for his grad season, was injured here. Then he moved on to Tulane for another grad season, and now he's injured there. He, he uh, hurt his shoulder, the same one he had here at Notre Dame, and he's going to miss the entire season at Tulane now. This guy can't stay healthy. Uh, pretty nice guy, too. It's too bad. And like in 2015, he only played six games for Michigan uh, because of an injury. He missed all of the 2016 season at Michigan because of an injury. And he missed 10 of the 13 games last year because of an injury here at Notre Dame. So uh, too bad for him. But the good news, I suppose, a little silver lining is he will more than likely be granted a sixth year of eligibility there. All right, we talked about the hoops situation here. I've got a couple hoops notes. The Irish wrapped up that Bahamas tour. After those two blowout wins, those 50-plus point wins, they ended up having a bit of a tussle in their final game against the Bahamas All-Stars. Still managed to win at 75-65. It's a game they actually trailed at half. Uh, obviously, they scored like 130 and 140 points in the first two games, something like that. So the scoring was down a little bit. Uh, T.J. Gibbs, a really nice game. 26 points, led all scores. He was 9 of 17 from the floor rags. He was 8 of 10 from three-point shooting. Nice. Yeah, Nate, Le- Le- Nate Leshesky. Uh, the freshman, he added 22 points on 7 of 9 shooting and high, had 9 boards. Not much balance in this particular win because no other Irish scored more than 8 points. And I did notice a ton of pictures from the team 
at Atlantis uh, going to town on all the water slides and stuff like that. I hope they were careful and they had a good time. <laughs> but that was your day off. I did on uh, Twitter. They were posting a ton of pictures. It looked like a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. That's a good. nice way to uh, start the season, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, that's quite a place, isn't it? There? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, no doubt about it. Nothing but the best. And I did want to did want to slip this one in here. Uh, if this, you didn't, I was going to. So I'm glad you brought it up. You're going to bring it up. This is courtesy of Irish Illustrated. Uh, Kyle McElarney, we all remember him. Uh, he was a fine player here uh, a few years ago. He's been last six years he spent playing in Greece and France. Um, he's now been named the associate athletic director and the head basketball coach at Moore Catholic High School. That's his alma mater back in Staten Island, New York. During his time here at Notre Dame, he made 298 three-point shots, shot 43% as a whole, which is pretty solid stuff. He's been really helping out as a coach and a teacher since he was a sophomore in high school, so this is kind of a dream he's been chasing that he's been kind of eyeballing once his professional career is done, and those are your blue gold nuggets. Well, actually, I, I thought you were going to go into the new Notre Dame app, and that was the one thing that uh, I saw news on it that was a pretty big deal, I guess, uh, in some oh, circles. Uh, I was, as yeah, a matter of fact. Yeah, you had that on the list, but I, 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 mean, I, I was going to bring it up if you didn't. I mean, they did announce... Uh, new and improved Fighting Irish app to download today. I guess, uh, you know, updated design for the schedule and introducing Irish reality, I guess that's what they're calling it, a slick new aug- augmented reality feature for Notre Dame season ticket holders, improved app performance. Uh, you can go to the Google Play or uh, the uh, uh, iTunes App Store to go uh, download these things. I guess it's a Watch ND app. Is that what this is, uh, Th- This kind of replaces it, if I'm reading this okay, correctly. Right. It's, it's an upgrade to the old Watch ND app. And they're going to so have a lot of search, live stats. Right. And, search Notre Dame Fighting Irish in, on your app yeah. wherever you download, and you should be able to find That's right after you, di- you download the Blue Gold Report. Okay, app, exactly, you know? exactly. Uh, and, and, uh, and then you do this. So, uh, you know, nothing like getting into the 21st century. And I did want to bring up, too, uh, not to not give love to other sports, as we record this on Fridays, uh, the Notre Dame women's soccer uh, season gets underway at home, Alumni Stadium, 14th-ranked Notre Dame, and they're starting their 31st season with Nate Norman there. They'll take on Central Michigan Friday night, so if you're listening to this in the afternoon, you might be able to catch them, but they do play Sunday afternoon as well against Loyola Chicago, so good luck to the ladies out there as they start the season uh, 14th in the country, so I did want to give it some love there. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, always, uh, always a solid program, that's for sure. All all right, but let's uh, turn our attention now uh, for the back half of the show, which will be uh, more three-quarters of the show, about this football team, Todd, as we head towards September 1st. And like I said, the general idea and the news that I'm hearing, the buzz coming out of camp, A, the special teams shining, but B, defense still way ahead of the offense here. Yeah, and not surprising. You know, you return 10 starters, including three guys, and Drew Tranquil, Tavon Coney, and Jerry Tillery that could have gone to the NFL. So you're talking about three front-line players there. Meanwhile, I was thinking about Rags actually on the drive over. You know, when you look at that offense, you know, you lost what? You lost two offensive linemen in the first round um, of the NFL mm-hmm. draft, a running back still on the Philadelphia Eagles roster, Equinemi St. Brown still mm-hmm. on the Packers roster. And frankly, Kevin Stefferson, who was dismissed from the team, he certainly was an NFL prospect as well. And then Durham Smythe. So you have six guys. Six, Makes sense. Yeah, six NFL players. A lot players. of turnovers yeah. there and a lot of, a lot of turnover and then a lot of people going to the NFL. Yeah, yeah, quality turnover there. So when you're talking about 10 starters and then on the defense returning and then you have six basically NFL guys uh, gone from last year's offense, it shouldn't come as any surprise. But... All in all, the coaches, I had a chance, I was floating around media day and talking to a lot of the coaches and whatnot about what they had, you know, what they liked, what they didn't like. They really feel like the depth is in place. Even even these positions that we worry about, 
wide receiver with a lot of in, you know a lot of inexperience, a lot of talent, but a lot of unproven talent. The same could be said for running back. Sure, but they seem real comfortable, even at that running back position where you have Tony Jones Jr. and a bunch of transplants, really that that you're not used to. But uh, Jafar Armand typically is this time of year. Everybody's kind of happy. And, but, but, all eyes continue to be on Brandon Wimbush. And here's the thing. This seems like, and we've talked about this in the past, this is finally the first year we're heading into the season with a really a tepid uh, quarterback's controversy. I mean, it seems like more than ever that we have the number one guy. He is the number one guy. There is no joke that he will be the number one guy. Uh, for the first time since basically since Brian Kelly's been there, yet I hear buzz coming out of camp that Ian Book actually looks pretty darn good, a lot better than Brandon Wimbush does. So will this actually build and morph into something that is more along the lines of what we're used to Brian Kelly? Yeah, and that's going to be all interesting to see how it plays out. Now, Brian Kelly is viewing this for, as a glass-half-full situation. You can't really blame him. I mean, first of all, let me back up a little bit. This will be the first time essentially the first time other than in 2010 and 2011 uh, that Brian Kelly will have the same starting quarterback right. on opening day right. two seasons in a row. I mean, you go back, Dane Christ in 2010, then Dane Christ again in 2011 for one half of the season opener, yeah. and then he was yanked for Tommy Reese. Then 2012, you went to Everett Golson. Yep. When Golson was suspended, 13, Tommy Reese. 2014, back to Golson. That was when he became the turnover machine. 2015, Malik Zaire. Zaire yep. 2016, Deshaun Kaiser, and then Wimbush last year. So there is some continuity. One thing that Brian Kelly talked about, too, and we're going to pop a clip in him in here about how more, much more comfortable he is with the quarterbacks because they, these guys have both played and won, so he really feels fine even if Book is with the ones. No problem, no drop-off there at all. But one thing that came up that was pretty interesting during media day is when you look at what Wimbush did on the ground last year, consider this. He had 141 carries, okay? You throw out 24 of those because of sacks. So he basically had 117 rushing attempt attempts. 49 of those came in the first three weeks of the season, right. which is pretty interesting. Uh, and that includes 21 carries against Boston College for 201 yards that and four touchdowns. Day, yeah. yeah, well, after that, it kind of tapered off. Some of that was because defenses were adjusting. Some of it was because... Chip Long and Brian Kelly, they, they couldn't afford to get Wimbush hurt. Right. So they kind of backed the reins off a little bit. Because of the play of Ian Book behind Brandon Wimbush, they're not worried so much about Wimbush running as frequently as he did last year. So that's just a little backdrop to what Brian Kelly talked about. We'll pop it in here about just how pleased he is with his quarterback situation. We're way ahead of where we were last year with both quarterbacks, you know, certainly just by experience alone, right? We came into this, we were, we were having this same meeting, right? And your number one and number two quarterback hadn't played. That's a different feeling for a head coach than coming in here and they've won football games and they've had success, they've been in the mix. Obviously, we're way ahead of where we were last year, and, and now we're spending most of the time at the end of practice working on situational football, and, and that's where we've got to be learning at the quarterback position is the situational football, and, and that was different. We couldn't do that last year. Brandon and Ian, you're, you're just getting a more mature player that that is confident in their ability. So both of them are extremely confident. Like, there's no thought process of, you know, Ian's with the ones. Everybody's quite confident in his ability to run our first team. So that's, that's no longer an effect. If you asked me last year at this time, if, if Ian went in there with the ones, there might be some, you know, hesitation, you know, as to can he lead us. So that obviously is, is huge for us. As it relates to Brandon, it's just, you know, consistency with accuracy. 
he's made progress there. He's not where he wants to be, but he's made significant progress even from the spring, and that's better than what we saw during the year. So incremental progress, you know, I think we're all striving for, for better, but, um, you know, again, I think we've made the progress necessary. Offensively, I think it's dispersion of the football to a number of different weapons. You know, Boykin, Claypool, Fink, Jafar Armstrong, Avery Davis. Uh, we've got three tight ends, you know, four tight ends that can catch the football. So a lot of weapons there. Tony Jones. I mean, I could go on and on. I mean, we've got some pretty good depth and guys that can help this football team. You know, it's interesting. He talks about Wimbush, and, and you know, he's coming back. He's got that experience. He's got those wins under his belt, but he also has something else under his belt, getting benched. That happened to him as well. So let's not think for a second that that couldn't happen again, Todd. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I guarantee the leash is going to be short, especially if all these reports are true. Now, you know, we're only allowed to watch so much. A lot of the practice time is under wraps, but that Saturday practice, Wimbush was not very good at all. And a big and it, and it's it's a little bit troubling when you look at what they were able to do last year offensively. You know, two hundred sixty nine rushing yards per game. That's yeah. a that's a program yeah. record yeah. that Notre Dame had never done that before. And yet, you still have a quarterback, even with given that circumstance in front of him, that couldn't complete fifty percent of his passes. Now, it's not completely unheard of. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's more the the rule than the exception for for a first year starter to make huge strides going into his second season. You hope that's going to be the case. But again, I, I you know you have to feel good that Ian Book's behind him because if if he can't get it straightened out and maybe this Michigan thing turns into a disaster, it could very well be a quick hook. And he's got some snaps under his belt too from last season. He didn't light it up necessarily last year in Book, but he did have a one game where he had a nice stretch of completions in a row. And yep. he, uh, so you're right, it's a good uh, security blanket. But mm-hmm. it is again I, that same old song and dance. I'm not ready for again, and we've talked about it ad nauseum here of. You know the rotating quarterbacks. Hopefully, that goes away a little bit. Well, one more one more thing on the quarterbacks. It's pretty interesting, and I don't know if this will pertain to Brandon Wimbush or not. But it's sort of interesting that only three quarterbacks since the Lou Holtz era ended. Only three quarterbacks at Notre Dame burn up all four of their seasons of eligibility as a quarterback wow. at the quarterback position. Do you have any quick guesses on who they might be? It was Brady Quinn one Brady, of them? Brady Quinn was one of them, and uh, a couple recent guys, actually. Well, Tommy Reese. Would Tommy that Reese was yeah. one of them. Uh, how many other? Four? Three. Three? Yep. The other one's tough. He's been a guest on our show before. Oh, he has? Yes. Well, I should get this then. Shame on me. Evan Sharpley. Oh, yeah. Well, yep. that was, yeah. That's a, wow, that's a... That would be the one nobody would really yeah, be able that's to get. Yeah, I, I got the first two right away, too. I had, to, I had to kind of look up the third, but I thought that was kind of interesting. So, again, continuity at quarterback at the quarterback position has not been something Notre Dame's but been it, able to hang let, its let's, hat on. Let's also be honest, too. It's not it's not just Notre Dame. You of look course. across college football landscape, you see, and especially with this fourth-year, fifth-year eligibility kind yeah. of thing where people can get more starting time. Of course. It happens all, all over the place. You know, and... Uh, Let's let's look. Let's talk about these practices. I'll give you a couple adjectives that I and I don't get to go to them. Todd, you get to see some of these. I, I hear physical. I hear spirited. These are words coming out of writers' uh, pens about how they're describing this practice. And you're attributing a lot of this to the just specific battles at certain positions. Yeah, both within position groups and across the line of scrimmage from each other. Right, it's exactly. just as we're as the team continues to build better depth. With is this be- hyperbole or is this real? Can you can, can you are you noticing anything different this year? Is it more spirited than a year before? You know what I'm saying. I just think it's. I just think that the 
position groups are deeper, so right. perhaps so. I so think the that, talent level going against each other yes. is higher. So I just think that breeds better competition, and, and then probably therefore better spirit. You know, for right. lack for lack of a better term, but. Um, I think you can feel it, and I think it goes to that. The one that I've been curious about, I'm actually going to do a story for Associated Press on it uh, for next week. Um, so I had a chance to catch up with the coaches, the offensive coaches yesterday, and one of the defensive coaches. Um, is you look at a position battle across the line of scrimmage, a Miles Boykin mm-hmm. versus a Julian Love. Okay, two of the best. Julian Love, All-American honors, preseason All-American honors, all over the board. Uh, second in the country last year, 23 pass breakups, returned two interceptions for touchdowns, uh, which which tied a Notre Dame record or Notre Dame program record. This guy is fabulous. He's a fabulous cornerback. And Miles Boykin has not, he's not tapered off one bit, according to the coaches. He's every bit as good. He really had his coming out party in that LSU Citrus Bowl, and he hasn't slowed down one bit, Rags. So now you're talking about, and okay, so I mentioned Love versus Boykin on one side. Then you have Chase Claypool versus Troy Pride Jr. on the other side. That's only going to make these four players better, and that's what everybody's raving about. And, and I can see it. You, know, uh, you, you can see it happening, and it's happened all through spring, all through summer, all through camp. These battles, these individual battles during practice can only help these guys because, frankly, you're not going to have a lot of opponents that are going to have a six five and a six four receiver on the outside, and you're not going to have a lot of when when you're looking at it from a receiver's eyes, you're not going to have two cornerbacks that are as quality as what Notre Dame has. So, had a chance to catch up with Todd Light, uh, the defensive backs coach, and I wanted to, and so I, I kind of had a one on one here. Uh, nobody was hovering around him just yet at media day. So I just wanted to chat about this dynamic and really just the wide receiver uh, and specifically the cornerbacks. You know, so far we've had a really, really good camp. What I love about our group is they're very engaged. You know, they want to be great. And so they come to work with the right attitude each and every day and they're a joy to work with. Troy Pride has done a phenomenal job. Um, I think he's really starting to step his game up, and I think he's going to have a great positive impact on our team this year. You know, Julian Love has been a lot more consistent. Um, struggled a little bit in the spring with trying to make too many plays yeah. and not letting the game come to him. Um, we had a great conversation. He understands that he has to play with fundamentals and play within the scheme of the defense, and the plays will come. He's an outstanding playmaker. We know that, and I think that he'll have a lot of success going into this year. Coach Kelly mentioned it as well how Julian perhaps was paying too much attention to all the preseason accolades and those types of things. Kind of revisit for me. What did you say? What was the message you wanted to get across to him that seems to have taken? Yeah, you know, for, for him, um, you know, obviously he had a lot of success last year, made a lot of plays. You know, scored on defense twice, um, you know, led the country in past breakups and, you know, had a phenomenal season. So going into the spring, instead of just playing with his assignment within the defense, all he wanted to do was make plays. You know what I mean? And you can't play the game of football like that. you got to be assignment sound. You have to play with the proper fundamentals. You have to play with the proper technique. And you have to apply those techniques when the situation comes up. And so for him, I think his mindset was make a play, make a play, make a play, as opposed to play within the scheme of the defense, carry out my assignment, and let the plays come to me organically. Once he kind of understood that and, uh, you know, changing his mindset and his approach to the way he plays, and then just understanding that he's going to have plenty of opportunities to make plays. All he has to do is play the game the way he's supposed to play the game, play within the scheme of the defense, execute his assignment at a high level, and the opportunities will come. Sean Crawford, very, very excited for him. Got through the season last year with no major injuries. Played through the spring, feels great, and so 
you know, getting him through the entire season completely healthy was really was one of my major goals, and we were able to accomplish that. And uh, really excited to see him and his development going into his second year health. The, the dynamic I'm curious about is you, you have the Chase Claypool, six foot five, right. and six four, and then great corners. What does that mean? That competition within practice. What is that doing for you? You know what? It's great for us. I mean, because you know Miles Boykin is playing at a really, really high level right now. Chase Claypool you know, at times has seen unstoppable in practice. And so when we compete against guys like that and everybody's going at a very, very high level, it's going to give us opportunity to be special on game day. And I think that if we can keep our competition level really, really high and uh, keep each other off the ground, right, and, and get through this fall healthy, I think that we're going to give a lot of people problems on the perimeter, both offensively and defensively. But, you know, from a defensive perspective, you know, with that size, that strength, their playmaking ability that we see each and every day, it only makes us better. And I think that, you know, for us, going up against that type of competition, we're going to have an opportunity to be very, very outstanding on the perimeter, especially at the cornerback position due to that competition. You know, it's interesting, and you, I can see how a guy like Julian Love coming off that monster year, that breakout year, how it would be easy to get caught in that trap. And what Brian Kelly was essentially saying is during practice, Every pass thrown his way, he wants to intercept, and he's playing that way. He's not not being necessarily assignment sound, and, and you, I can totally understand that. I guess what impresses me, though, is after his coaches talked to him, he was able to turn that switch off and go back to playing how he's supposed to play. I think that would be difficult, Rags. He's a tactician. He's a really smart kid, and I think that speaks to his intelligence that he was able to say, take a step back and say, you know what? You guys are right. I need to get back to what I did. The plays are going to come. That is encouraging, no doubt about it. All right, well, uh, I talked about it out of the start of the show here. This special team seems special, and, and, and I said, you know, when you're, when you're highlighting a punter, it normally isn't a good thing, but uh, it seems like they finally put the special back into that special teams. Yeah, they, were, they, want him to get, they want him to more routinely hit 50-yard punts, and so Brian Kelly even gave him a hug. Because... I was going to say, I heard there was a hugging situation <laughs> there. was there. a hug because uh, I guess he hit a couple in a row there, and he's really doing a nice job, really working hard at his craft. One of the nicest players I've ever talked to that's moved through here, so uh, with good reason, a team captain and everything else. So, again, like we mentioned, top of the show, the kicking game seemed to be in great hands. As a matter of fact, Justin Yoon is going to leave here as the all-time leading scorer in Notre Dame history. Wow. Um, not only just a kicker, but all players. He doesn't need that many here. I did not realize yeah, that. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. So he's been he's been actually his percentage is better than any other kicker in Notre Dame history that has, that has uh, made more than fifty field goals. So wow. he's, he's kind of quietly. Yeah, you, you, know, I, you said I, he, I started showing he's had a down year, but I, I maybe I just it's perceptions reality for me, and it's just yeah. The, he doesn't light it up in my mind, but he's pretty been as con- more consistent than I thought. Yeah, what did he hit? He had a forty. I'm working off the top of my head here. I know he had a forty-seven, and I believe a forty-three yarder against LSU in the Citrus Bowl, um, and they won by four points. So that goes to show you um, the return game. Punt return is pretty well set. Chris Fink is going to be the man there, wide receiver kid. Um, it was a little bit sketchy because he didn't really have a monster year last year. Um, as a matter of fact, through the first five games of the season, he had amassed a total of two yards, two total yards on nine returns in a stretch of back-to-back games in November against Miami and Navy, uh, in which his returns totaled minus eight yards. 
We had more yardage than he did. <laughs> yes, we did. Yes, we did. Now, he ended up averaging 6.5 yards on his 24 returns, which sounds respectable, but his last two returns of the season were 20 yards and 41 yards, so that skewed that a little bit. But Brian Kelly said he's bigger, stronger. He's putting his foot in the ground, taking off, so he likes what he sees there. The kickoff returns, that's kind of a very much a work in progress. They are rotating guys through here, and I don't really know if they've settled on anything. As a matter of fact, on Saturday, the open practice on Saturday, Avery, Avery Davis, Jafar Armstrong, Nick Coleman, Sean Crawford, uh, Michael Young, and Chris Fink all rotated in that kickoff return. So even Brian Kelly's saying it's still a fluid situation. So we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. But at least as far as the kicking game itself, that looks to be solid and steady, if, especially if they can get some coverage. This new rule, Brian Brian Kelly was asked about this new rule, and we've talked about it a little bit, but I don't know that Brian Kelly had been asked about it. It's a rule that's on kickoffs, and obviously there's an inordinate amount of injuries when it comes to kickoffs, the heavy collisions, uh, players running full speed, head-on-head. And so I think the NCAA, as well as the NFL, for that matter, has spent the last several years trying to rectify this situation and come up with different rules on how they can help uh, alleviate some of these injuries. And it started in 2012 when they moved the kickoff from from the 30 to the 35. And then if you had a touchback, it would go from the 20 to the 25. And they thought that would cut down on returns. And it did for a while to some extent. But then teams started to get smart. And I always thought this was a good rule, right, or a good idea out of the gate. These kickers are so talented now, and these players are so fast. Instead of just booting it in the end zone, yeah. why not try to pop it up some? Get it inside the 10. Get it inside the 10. Get your guys down there, maybe kick it toward the sideline, try yep. to pin him in there and see if you can get him inside the 20. So then you get back to the collisions and whatnot. So what the NCAA did to counter that, you can now fair catch these. And if you fair catch it at the 5-yard line, it's going to come out to the 25. It's not It's not put down, it's not spotted where you call the fair catch. So anything inside the 25, you can fair catch and it will come out to the 25. And this worries Brian because they have a kicker that can actually has the talent of putting it inside the 5-yard line on a kickoff. Right? And, he's, and he's saying, and in this clip he'll explain it, he said it's going to be opponent-specific. If we find that the, returning, the kickoff return team of an opponent is dynamic, we're probably just going to boot it out of the end zone sure. and be done with it. But if we feel like we can gain an advantage by trying this, even though they can fair catch it, maybe there's a little bit of confusion so there. It's instinct comes into play. You don't exactly, normally right. think about it. And yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's going to be something. But he kind of breaks down his strategies both as a, as a kick coverage unit and a kickoff unit. And I thought this was worth playing because it is kind of interesting. It's something the coaches definitely have to think about. First of all, you better have somebody back there that that, that has the capability to fair catch, right? And it's not somebody that uh, is is not confident with his ball skills. You know, you're going to have some different philosophies there, and, and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, if you can get 4.1, 4.0 on hang time between the two and the six-yard line with a real good unit going down there, you, you put some pressure on the kickoff return team to make a decision. If they try to, if they try to bring it out with just a hang time scenario, you could pit them inside the 20-yard line quite easily. Or if you feel like that's a dynamic group, maybe you're just going to punch it out of the back of the end zone. So I, I, think, I think it would change from week to week on who we're playing. Uh, but the rule uh, for us is one with John. John's got the ability to hang that thing around the four-yard line and really force you to make a decision in terms of returning it. I think what we're working on right now is, is to find who that guy is that can fair catch it and take it 
uh, and be effective, then we'll make the decision relative to how we handle it internally. Todd, there's not really a bold prediction, but I will tell you this. My grandson will say these words to me. (laughs) Poppy, they used to kick the ball off. Because this is just another step towards no more kickoffs. The last line on my notes for this particular segment. Somebody's fall back on, but what are they going to do when the team's down two scores yeah. and two minutes to go, they score one of them, what happens with the onside kick? Yeah. Some, maybe the rule is no kickoffs unless it's under two minutes. Maybe that's yeah, what they'll something do. Something like that, yeah. I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't be too surprised. It's funny you said that because I was actually going to come out of that break with that very with exactly what you said. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I'm torn on this, Todd, because really, uh, growing up, some of the best plays I remember in life are kickoff returns for touchdowns. Sure. You know, but I do understand the and and the NFL is trying to 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 thwart it this year with the you know no running starts. So you know, for the people for the uh, for the coverage team, maybe that'll help. But ultimately, it'll be taken out of the game. Somebody scores, you get the ball to 25, next possession. I didn't realize they took the running starts out. Yeah, that's this year's rule in okay. the NFL. You cannot, no more running starts. Everybody starts at the line of scrimmage now. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Now, I, that, that should that, help a little. I think that would help quite a bit, Rags, because yeah. in all honesty, every time I watch an NFL kickoff, I feel like all 10 guys are off sides. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I just think now we're going to see more kickoffs into the back of the end zone now more than ever, yeah. since there is no more running start. It'll be tougher to get that coverage team down there to pin the team down, so they'll just tell the kickers, just get it out through the back of the end zone. Yep, I guarantee it. Yeah, and that's that's one way they can alleviate all this. Now, uh, again, how do you feel about it? I mean, I'm like I said, I'm torn. Part of me is like, you know what? A lot of times it's a, it is a waste of time because these kickers are so good now that they can just kick it out of the back of the end zone. Let's just start the, at the 25. Everybody's safe. Nobody's going to get hurt. I liked your point, though, about you, you know just force of habit. You know, if, if you're in a position where you've been coached during practice to call that fair catch at the 5-10 yard line, you're just so used to not doing it. I think you're going to see a lot of mistakes made from kids that, that really can come back to haunt you by thinking, you know, not doing the fair catch or doing a fair catch when they shouldn't do. It. You know, I, I yeah. just it's, it's putting a lot on these kids. And I think anytime you put a new rule into play, especially that first year, is when you see a lot of mistakes. And I would be surprised if that didn't happen this year. Well, when Brian Kelly said the quote about, well, you better have somebody back there that's yeah. used to fair catching, I, I said to you, I said, well, they should just put two offensive linemen back there <laughs> and as soon as the ball's kicked to them or, or a big tight end. Just, yeah, you know, right, right. To take, the, take the fair catch. Uh, uh, again, for player safety, I don't have a huge problem with it, but it does take, as you can hear, just there's some strategy that goes along with this that you can't ignore, Todd. Yeah, oh, for sure. And uh, I'm glad that the coaches at Notre Dame are addressing it and not just throwing a blanket idea over it. Okay, anything inside the 10 yard, and we're just going to fair catch, you know, or, or you know, we're, we're, or anytime we kick off, we're just going to boot it through the end zone. I like that Brian Kelly and Brian Polian are being opponent specific. They're going to study these opponents and realize perhaps there's an advantage for them beyond just doing something the same way every week. All right, before we go away here, let's get to the top four teams now. You're going to do number four, number three. Uh, in in reverse order, but, but worse to better, of uh, the, the opponents that Notre Dame faces, uh, we're up to the fourth best team that you think they're facing this year. Yes, I don't know exactly what I did wrong here. I think it was just bad calendar work, because this was supposed to count down right to the Michigan week here. <laughs> and I was kind of looking at the calendar, and I realized 
I have one too many teams here. It's the, the, the timing's not going to work out. So those up. keeping score at home, <laughs> this is not your clerical error. It's Todd's. It, it absolutely is. But So here's here's how it's gone so far. We considered Ball State the number 12 opponent on the schedule, then Vanderbilt 11. Uh, this is worst to first, we'll call it. Syracuse 10, Pittsburgh 9, Navy 8, Wake Forest 7, Northwestern 6, and Stanford five and my number four team and this is this team is so hard to, to gauge because of what's going on here. I'll get to that in a second. But my number four team is at, it's the game at Virginia Tech. It's an October sixth game. It's a road game. I think uh, this game and at USC are the two most difficult road games. Um, this this Virginia Tech contest will be game six of the season. They've only played one time. It was a uh, Notre Dame senior day during that dismal 2016 season. Uh, Virginia Tech was down 17 nothing and 24-7 uh, and managed to score a 34-31 victory. Uh, they kicked a field goal with 4-16 remaining in the game. Uh, let's see, three of the final 13 points, um, and, and that dropped Notre Dame to 4-7. and seven. Um, Interestingly, that particular win for Virginia Tech made the Hokies the fifth different team in eight years to win at Notre Dame in its first try. That used to never, wow. <laughs> ever happen back in the day. And here, this sort of sums up that 2016 season rags very well. Notre Dame actually outgained Virginia Tech 449 yards to 419. The Notre Dame held a 2-0 advantage in turnovers. Still managed to lose the game because they managed to lose every game that year. Um, when it comes to recruiting rankings, usually Virginia Tech hovers right around that number 25 mark. Notre Dame around the top 15 mark. Uh, so certainly a, perhaps a bit of a talent uh, discrepancy here. Um, Second-year head coach Jason Fuente, he did a nice job. Uh, he followed his 10-4 and finish and... Uh, an ACC Coastal Division title in his first year. That was in 2016. He had a nine and four mark last season. Uh, Virginia Tech actually started seven and one last year, um, but then limped a little bit down the stretch. That only loss was to Clemson, uh, but then they struggled a little bit. They got dumped pretty good by Miami, um, and then they lost to Georgia Tech. So they 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 sort of they they struggled a little bit down the stretch. And they ended up where they end up. They ended up nine and four once all was said and done, uh, with a loss to Oklahoma State in the Camping World Bowl. Now here's what gets here's where it gets interesting. Rags. They lost. They have seven returning players coming back on offense. One of them is quarterback Josh Jackson. Perhaps this guy was a heck of a player uh, as a redshirt. Freshman last year, he accounted for 2,991 passing yards and 20 TDs. He also rushed for another 324 yards and had six rushing TDs, which led the Hokies. So he said he's probably the best dual-threat quarterback on this. But um, the problem is ESPN was reporting uh, that Jackson has been suspended indefinitely for an investigation into some academic fraud. Here we go. And if indeed this kid is dismissed for the season, Virginia Tech is in a lot of trouble, especially when you consider that they lost Cam Phillips. He was the school's all-time leading receiver. He's graduated and gone. So everything's going to hover around whether or not Josh Jackson is the quarterback of this team, because if he's not... Um, they're, they're, it's not going to be a very good football team, I don't believe. Um, they, all, they lost seven starters on defense, so we'll wait and see how that goes. Um, 20 touchdowns as a freshman, that's pretty good. Yeah, not too shabby for sure, but we'll have to wait and see if he's even eligible. So that's why this team was a little bit hard to rank. Uh, interestingly, Virginia Tech has been uh, they've been to a bowl game 25 years in a row. 
It's the second longest streak in the country to Florida State at 36. Um, no, good segue there, by the way. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this, these, this is one of those games that would normally not exist were it not for their affiliation with the ACC, correct? I mean, this is... I mean, this isn't really an historical matchup for them, as you pointed out. They haven't played each other that much, have they? Once. Virginia Tech once. Yeah. So. <laughs> 206, 2016 game, yeah. So, so although they're not in a conference, they kind of are in a conference with this game. Yeah, and then, so like you said, the segue was nice here when you're talking about bowl winning streaks. Actually, Florida State struggled last year. They were 7-6. and six. One of those was a D2 win, so they're only 6-6, six and six, so there were some questions if they'd even get into a bowl game. Yeah. They ended up going. Um, and they were preseason pretty high, too, if I'm my memory's not mistaken, right? Last it year? sure seems like it rags. I'm trying to see if I have it here. The opening, yeah, they were number three. They yeah. played out. They played number one Alabama in the opening game. Uh, that was supposed to be a, kind of a prelude to the playoffs. Correct. Not you mentioned it, yeah, for sure. Um, series record: Florida State leads Notre Dame six to two. Uh, they've won the last three in a row, dating back to 2003. You will all remember the most recent meeting here shortly. Uh, this game. Is the lone game sandwich between those four road games to finish the season? The night game, people. Night game. Yep. Mark it on your calendars. Absolutely. Remember, they played at they, they play Navy in, in uh, San Diego. Then they go to Chicago to play Northwestern. Come home and play Florida State. Then out to Yankee Stadium to play Syracuse, and then wrap up the season at USC. So sandwiched in between four road games. That's going to be this is going to be a tricky stretch of the schedule. Coast to for, coast, too. Yeah, also. exactly. Very much so. The most recent meeting. Who could forget it? October eighteenth, two thousand fourteen. Uh, Notre Dame was 6-0 in number 5. Uh, Florida State ranked number 2, and they were the reigning national championships. Brian Kelly really did a nice job play calling in that game, and Notre Dame had a 17-10 halftime lead. And then they scored what appeared to be the game-winning touchdown, if you remember, <laughs> in the closing seconds of the fourth quarter on a fourth-and-goal play when Everett Golson found Corey Robinson. Ah, but however, remember that controversial C.J. Procise flag for pass interference when he kind of did the pick play against Jalen Ramsey. Somehow that same play wasn't pass interference in the first half, but we're not going to go there. Exactly. Uh, so Florida State ended up, because of that call, holding on for a 31-27 win, and, it, and that secured its 23rd straight victory. When you're talking about recruiting rankings, actually Florida State's going to hold the advantage here. Um, everything's top five across the board when you're going back to 2014, uh, where all the active players are. Notre Dame, as I mentioned before, usually top ten. Um, Florida State struggled last year to seven and six. That really happened because in that Alabama game, remember DeAndre Francois? Am I saying that right? Yeah. Uh, he was injured early on, and and that that really uh, that was a torn uh, tendon. And he was done for the year, and they just never recovered. Couldn't get anything gone from the quarterback position. Worst start for the Seminoles since 1976, um, and they were actually beat up 35 to three last last season at Boston College on a Thursday night game. That's how bad it got. Now they did turn things around a little bit. Uh, beat Florida 38-22. That got them to five and six. And this is when all the vultures started surrounding Jimbo Fisher yeah. and calling for his calling for his job. He eventually left. He took the Texas A&M job, which obviously Mike Elko, the former Notre Dame defensive coordinator, followed him there. Um, ultimately, again, Florida State did go to the bowl game. Um, let's see here. Uh, they beat they beat up on Southern Miss in that game, Independence Bowl, forty two to thirteen. So Willie Taggart takes over. For Jimbo Fisher, he will be the only new head coach that Notre Dame faces this season. Interesting hire here when you're talking about Florida State because Tigert has a career record of 47-50. and 50. He coached Western Kentucky, South Florida, and then he worked one season at Oregon where he went 7-5. and five. So 
interesting, I don't know, interesting hire. You would think that you could bring somebody in a little bit more... Uh, it's a bit of a high-profile job. Yeah, man. you would think so, for sure. Uh, Florida State loses seven starters on defense, and including some front-line players. Let's see, one, two, three, four of them were NFL uh, draft picks. Francois, if he can come back, they're going to be. He, he's still dinged up a little bit, but they expect by opening day he'll be healthy again. Uh, he has thirty three hundred fifty career passing yards. Um, let's see, they do have a. Let's see, James Blackman. He was the backup last year. He threw for about two thousand. Uh, he was he wasn't that great uh, because he just baptism by fire. I mean, what do you want? Um, let's see here. The top two running backs are back, uh, so that's good news for them. We'll have to wait and see. It's going to be meshing this new staff. I think that's going to be the yeah. secret to Florida State's success. And Notre Dame gets them in. It's rare that you can get a, a Southern ACC school or an SEC school up here in the middle of November to play at Notre was, Dame Stadium. That was one of the things I was going to bring up. You know, this seems kind of high on the list for me because of the weather situation potentially could be and the new coaching situation. But obviously it is Florida State and they do have a, have some talent there. Uh, and the cool thing is if you want to scout both teams, they open the season against each other yep, Labor absolutely. Day night. So yep, yep. unfortunately it's all the same time as the game of Michigan-Notre Dame. You might be watching that. You can flip back yeah, and you forth. You flip back sure. and forth, absolutely. So I think that home field advantage probably would go to Notre Dame because of the time of the year this game is being played. But uh, yes, indeed, that leaves us with two opponents left and that would be USC and Michigan. And find out next week who's at number two. By the way, before we wrap up, they did just release the uniforms for the Pinstripe Bowl. Ah. And it's as if Babe Ruth is going to be in the uniform. This They look like Yankee uniforms. That's how they, they're literally taking the fact that they're at Yankee Stadium to a nth degree here. <laughs> the whole front is back with Notre Dame in script across the top that looks like Yankee inscription. And the helmet is in black entirety as well. Uh, or really, really, really deep blue. And I don't want to say black because the Yankees are a blue and white, not black and white. So it, this, this, they look like Yankees. Um, so it'll be the one, the hardest time for me to root for them is when they're wearing these uniforms. <laughs> well, this is true. That's I will right. say that. Uh, but it is Syracuse, so I should be able to get by and uh, you know, ignore it. They're not going to wear the orange and blue that my Mets wear, but that's okay. They're not playing at City Field. They're playing at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, so uh, I had not seen that, so it I'm glad you brought that out. It just came out while we were doing this show. I so. will absolutely check that out. Uh, well, I hope you enjoyed it. That is another Blue Gold Report podcast it's being brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. Remember, coming up in a couple of weeks, it'll be a whole Notre Dame uh, football hour as we bring in Phil Hauk uh, and uh, his uh, kickoff classic that he does every... I think he's uh, approaching 30 years of doing that show, uh, Todd, so... Uh, that's no slouch to say the least. If we can have a career like him, right. we'll be in good shape. I think we're approaching three. <laughs> well, it feels like 30, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, you guys have a great week. We'll do it all over again next week, Todd. All right. Sounds good, Rags. This has been a presentation of Opt In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.